Great, today we're going to do part seven of our study of 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, please would you open to 1 Timothy. If you've been tracking with us during the sermon series, we have looked at certain things that have defined the house of God. The, the sermon series has been called Blueprints for the House of God. So on week one, we looked at the church being a place of sound doctrine and a place of grace. And we see the Apostle Paul sharing a little bit about his testimony. Um, Wes in week two spoke about the church being a place of prayer. And then we had fun talking about the roles of men and women and that difficult passage that talks about the role of women in church. And then we looked at church um, being a place where there is godly leadership. And Justin spoke about some of the requirements for deacons and elders. And um, Malayan looked at the section about being a good servant of Christ. And in that passage, I think she had about 10 points there on what it means to be a good servant of Christ. And then last week, Anne did a great job talking about how to treat people. And it was a great reminder of us treating the older people in this church as mothers and fathers and treating the younger ones as brothers and sisters. And I think Anne did a great job last week. So we are going to now look at part seven. Next week, we're going to conclude. Daniel Robinson will close us off, close the series off in our study of 1 Timothy. And in a sense, we're going to divide chapter 6 into two parts, and this will be part 1, and Dan next week will cover part 2. So let's read it together, and then we'll jump into going through it verse by verse. So 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 10 says this, Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meanings of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Paul, if you've been following with us from chapter 1, is confronting these false teachers. And right again, he's in a position where Paul is saying, challenge these false teachers who are portraying godliness so to inherit wealth or so to get wealth from this portrayal of godliness. And many people today, this isn't a new thing in South Africa, this prosperity teaching, where the prosperity teacher comes across being godly, maybe living an ungodly life, and then portrays this wealth that comes with being godly. And then turns to the congregation who's made them wealthy and says, you too can have a Mercedes Benz if you were just more like Jesus and godly like me. So in this passage, right at the bottom, he says, um, there we go, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. So godliness for them was equal to wealth. 
Yet true, true godliness with contentment is in, in itself a great wealth. So he contradicts that by saying true godliness with contentment is great wealth or great gain. And this is the verse today that I would like you to memorize. Even if you just learn it in your own words, godliness with contentment is great gain, great wealth. I think we all would love to find something of great wealth. This is a gem. It is a pearl in Scripture that if you get it right, the Bible describes it of being great gain. And we've been looking over the weeks at this term godliness. And I think Belain, during her series, spoke a little bit about, or her passage spoke about godliness. And she described it as right belief and obedient action. God-likeness in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, and in our behavior. One of our goals should be to become more godly, God-like. And her passage that she looked at in chapter 4 Paul says this, training, training, physical training is good, but train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in, in this life and in the life to come. And my question to you today is, I know we get up on a Monday morning and we go to work and we work hard and we finish the week and we start over. Do you have a drive and a goal to become more godly? I know often we're trying to earn more money. We've got to get into money in a moment and talk about wealth. But it's a, a drive. I want God to reveal the state of our hearts. What are those things that are driving us? And he says godliness should be a drive that we have to become godlike in our words, in our actions, in our behavior, in all that we do? Do we have a desire to please God? And I know this desire can go through different stages. This morning, are you passionate about living a life that pleases God? He says, godliness with contentment is of great wealth. This phrase, I am content, sorry, that has not fitted in the fonts of this computer. I am content. I wonder how many of you today could say that you are content. Now, when we talk about contentment, obviously there is an, a um, godly discontent that we all should have. And that godly discontent should say, I'm not nearly where I'm supposed to be. I need to know Jesus more. I need to become more like him. I don't like the words that sometimes come out of my mouth. But in this passage, he's talking about wealth and income and money. How many of you today could say the state that I am in financially, I, far, I am content? Most people today, our, our heart, our default in our heart is discontentment. John D. Rockefeller, if you're unfamiliar with who he is, he is known as the wealthiest man in American history. And there is a story when a reporter goes up to him and asks him this question, how much money is enough? And for, for those of you who know the story, what was his reply? Just a little bit more. The wealthiest man in American history is asked how much is enough, and he still says just a little bit more. That for me is a great revealer of the human heart that is never content with what we have. 
always a little bit more. This desire reveals some of our struggles with discontentment. Our default state, I believe in our heart, is discontentment. And to be a Christian, today's sermon title is called Christian Contentment. Why is it different for us as followers of Christ? What does it look like to be content? When we walk through the shops, because I work here in Robin Hills, often I go off to Cresta, and when I walk through those shops, the, the things that flash out to me is your happiness is just one purchase away. There is a disease for more, just a little bit more. And it's funny, every shop, every time I go, has the big sign, sale, like it's, come on, you've got to buy this stuff, it's on sale, but it never ends, it's always there, the sale, got to buy it, it's on special. Sociologists say social media is one of the biggest drivers of discontentment. All of you that spend time on social media for hours a day, the sociologists are saying that it is causing a discontentment in the human heart. Why? Because you're looking at someone else's highlights reel. The food they're eating, the clothes they're wearing, the holidays they're going on, the experiences they're having. Most of the time when you put your phone down after looking at social media, there is a discontentment in your heart to say, my life is not good enough. I want more. I want this. So what is contentment? Contentment, in a sense, is a sense of satisfaction that results from having what one desires or from not, not desiring more than one has. You know, I can be content, can learn to be content with what I have, and I can also be content by not desiring more all the time. Contentment is far more powerful than a change of circumstance. Instead of being sourced on the outside and subject to changing circumstances, biblical contentment comes from within and endures through a spectrum of circumstances. Contentment is an attitude of the heart and of the mind. And if we're going to be content, as I've thought about what contentment means this week, I've realized that I have to learn to be grateful with what I have. You'll never find contentment if you do not thank the Lord for what you already have. Paul talks about rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. There's something about acknowledging what God has given you and what you have if you ever want to desire to be content. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. So it's not wrong to ask for more and desire things and desire more. But he says, And thank Him for what He has done. And so often when I find myself in a place of discontentment, feeling horrible about my life, and where I live, and what I have, and our circumstance, I only have to stop and pause and think about someone else's circumstance, which is way worse than mine. And I soon realize, actually, yes, I do like my life, and I do like the roof over my head, and I do like what I have. But I can get into a rut of focusing on what I don't have. I wish we could get a printout of our thoughts every week. And then, then like, um, ChatGPT can then just put it in different sections. And I can look at how much I worry about and how much I think about what I don't like about my life and, and focus on what I don't have versus being grateful what, for what I do have. 
So Paul in this passage goes to say, yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. I want to just remind you of potentially what you looked like when you came into this world. Yes, the color of your skin might have been different and your hair might have been different, but I don't see the baby coming into this world with a wallet under his, under his armpit or a, a MasterCard or a credit card or a bag full of things. Paul says, remember, you came into this world with nothing and one day when you leave, when you breathe your last breath, you cannot go out with all the wealth that you have acquired during your time span on, on earth. When that same fellow, John Rockefeller, died, his assistant was famously, asked, was famously asked, how much money did he leave behind? And his answer was, all of it. Very wisely said, he left it all. Wasn't going to reveal how much was left, but whatever was accumulated over his, over his life was left. And then Paul in verse 8 gives us a picture of contentment. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. What is he saying and what is he not saying? Because I find verse 8 quite challenging. If you have enough clothing and enough food, be content. Now the other day, my boys and I were off somewhere. As a dad, you're always driving your children around, the older they get. And there was someone at our gate that was standing there and he had this massive tent. So going outside and asking him, he said, listen, please, do you mind giving me a lift to Northgate Shopping Center? Because on our road, he did some work for someone on our street and was able to get a big tent. Now, this wasn't a small little two-man tent. It was a decent-sized tent. So the boys and I said, okay, we're going, jump on in. And as we drove him, we started asking him his story. And it's always a sad story. Someone who has lost his family, doesn't have work at the moment, and is living on the street. And he's quite grateful now because he's got a tent to live in. And he's staying just on the side of Northgate Shopping Center. You know, Northgate, and then there is some open land, and he's sleeping there. And we were asking about what he does and why he doesn't have a job, and he says he's got a CV, and he's printed it out, and he's, he's actively trying to do something with his life, but he's just had a tough break and destitute. So we pulled over when we drove him to where he wanted to go, and we prayed with him, and we gave him some money and said, would you go and buy a hot meal? I don't think it would have been right for me to say, listen, buddy, Andrew, the Bible says you must be content because you've got clothes on your body and you've got food, so you must be content. Do you think that would have gone down well? Going to someone living on the streets and say, you've got clothes and here's some food, you must be content. I think our challenge in this country is how many people are destitute. South Africa's official unemployment rate is 33%, which is the highest in the world. Not something to be proud about in this country. And when it comes to youth unemployment, that rate is over 60%. We struggle 
with people that do not have enough food, just the basic necessities, food, clothing, and a roof over their head. I don't think Paul is saying to go to the poor and say you must be content with what you have. I think he's challenging those that have a lot more, that always are wanting more. See, we are called to do something. We are called to feed the poor and to be a, be a solution to this crisis that this country has. So we have the destitute. We have people that have enough food and clothing and shelter. And then there are people, many of us, who have more than enough to meet our needs and others. But both groups face the same challenge. Both groups face this longing to be rich. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I'm with a, a bank that every so often when there is a decent amount in the, the jackpot in, in the lotto would send me a push notification saying the Powerball lotto is 60 million rand today. Normally it happens like on a Wednesday I get this push notification. And here I think in February, 7th of February, someone, you can see their hands around this check, walked away with 60 million rand. And when I get that notification, I don't know about you, how many of you play the lotto? And how many of you have these conversations about, imagine having that sort of money? Who thinks they would be happy to, to win 60 million rand? All five of you and the rest of you are lying. <laughs> but the facts are, when you study lotto winners and you go and do your research, most of them will spend the money and lose the money within five years. Most of them, the, st the stats are this, that they would choose, if they could redo it, would choose to tear up that lotto ticket and not inherit the sort of money. Because their life has become worse off because of it. There is a trap. There is a hidden trap. There is harmful desires that plunge people into destruction. Those who desire this sort of wealth. When I am tempted to play the lotto, my temptation is this. To see what money can do rather than what God can do in providing for me. It's easy for money to become our source and not God being my source. I suddenly have a desire to say, wow, this would just supply all my needs and be my provision for my life. And God keeps reminding me that no, He is my provision. He is my source. And Milan and I can write a book on how God has provided for us over the years. 18 years, nearly 18 years ago when we got married and started this journey, God has provided for our needs miraculously in many ways. And there I am tempted to say, God, thank you, but no thank you. I rather want this lot of money to be my provision and my provider. And how foolish I can be to say, no, God, you are my provider. You are my provision. And I read a proverb this, this week that knocked me in the nose. You know when you get one of those verses? Proverbs 30 verse 7, for those that want to write that verse down, because maybe it's applicable to you. And I would like to know if you are willing to pray this prayer. 
The proverb says this, O oh God, I beg two favors from you. And I won't tell you the first one, I'll tell you the second one. Firstly, or secondly, give me neither poverty nor riches. Now this is a verse that's not the prosperity teaching. I may not grow the church using this verse. <laughs> God, I beg you, give me neither poverty, which we would all pray, nor riches. For if I, neither give me poverty nor riches, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. How many of you could pray, God, don't make me super rich, don't make me super poor, just give me enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, rich I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. I just thought, wow, imagine saying, God, before I die, don't make me super rich and don't make me super poor. Just give me enough to meet my needs. How many of us with a spirit of discontentment in our heart desire riches? Because this verse says, those who desire, in, desire it fall into temptations. And then he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. There is a misconception today that some people would quote this verse and say, money is the root of all evil. Money in itself is neither good nor bad. It is the love of money that is the root. It is a, it is a root. It is a foundation of all sorts of evil that can come from it. We all know how powerful money is, and the love of it lays the foundation for an evil that could spring forth. We are commanded to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we're commanded to love our neighbor. We are not commanded to love money. Money is here to serve us, not to make us servants of it. So I've got a question for you this morning. How do we know, how do we discern if we love money or not? Because there's the verse that says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. My question is, how do I know if I have a love for money? Ecclesiastes 5 gives us an answer. Verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Again, another blow to my nose. Whoever loves money never has enough, never content. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. We live with a disease, a disease of discontentment. As followers of Jesus Christ, how do we find contentment in God and not in wealth and money? See, if God is the object and the model of contentment, He is content in Himself and He shows us that the only way to find contentment is in Him. For Paul, contentment was rooted not in self-sufficiency, but in Christ's sufficiency. What did he say? To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to live, my life is to live for Jesus. And how many people today are chasing after the next promotion, the next raise, the next job that pays more, 
And I sometimes wonder what it would look like if we actually were content with where we were at. What it would look like to find contentment in Him. For Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. Everyone say, I have learned. How to be content whether I have, with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Isn't that an amazing thing to be able to say, I have learned to be content, whether I have much or whether I have little. It is something that I have had to learn. How many of us today sitting here this morning needs to learn what it means to be content with a lot and with little? And he says, like with a full stomach and an empty stomach. This is why when we do prayer and fasting this week, living with an empty stomach, even for a half a day or one day, it is hard. But he says, for I have learned to be content. Contentment in God, there is a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts of each one of us that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world but by God. We pray things like this, Lord, if it's your will, then let it be. Let your will be done on earth. And as we patiently wait for God's will to be done, sometimes we have to choose a certain attitude. And this Eric Raymond said, what we must learn is that contentment is not something that is found, it is an attitude. I want contentment in my relationship with God. And when I pray things like, Lord, give me this, or give me this promotion, or help me earn more, or Lord, I desire this car, if I don't get it, can I still find contentment in Him? Lord, Your will be done, not mine. Why do I have this and someone else is that? Can I learn, can I choose an attitude of contentment? And I want to say this is a relevant topic for us in this nation at this time. Why is contentment a relevant topic for us today? Well, you just have to continually look at our prices that just keep going up. Here is Stats SA that gave this example of how things have gone up from April 2023 to April 2022. Onions went up 52.8% in one year. Maize meal, 34.6%. Then it goes cake flour, 29.9. The thing that gets me upset is ice cream went up 28.2%. Just having an ice cream is costing 30% more. Then on the right, it just gave an example how much things went up just from one month to the next, from, from March to April. Beetroot went up 11.5% in one month. A newspaper, carrots, magazines, onions, peppers. Your peppers went up 5% in one month. Why do I say that this is a relevant topic today? Because the standard that you were living at last year, this time, is very different to your standard of living a year later. I think petrol's going up, what, three rand something this week? So again, food's got to go up, petrol's got to go up, everything's going to go up. And those of you who bought a nice house two years ago, that what you are paying now for your bond two years ago is very different to what you're paying now, so now, how many of you had your salaries just bumped up just as all these increases keep happening every month or every six months? No one, she cried. 
So this margin, this income that we have been earning and our, ex- our spending or our expenses, this margin is no longer. For many people today, we are living with no margin. And unfortunately, the reality is many people are now spending more than they earn. This is the reality for many people. And this morning in our prayer meeting, we're just praying for you guys, the church, praying for financial breakthroughs that people need, praying for people who are struggling with debt at the moment, people that haven't been able to find work or haven't received an increase in years. What are we going to be facing in two years' time when people keep living like this? Debt is a horrible thing. Debt is like another trap, easy to get into but very hard to get out of it. Debt is the slavery of the free. And there are many tests when it comes to money. Do you have a budget? Are you spending accordingly? Are you overspending every month? Where can you cut back to allow more, more margin in your budget? What difficult decisions have to be made so that you can just survive? Two tests that come with money, how we behave when we don't have any and how we behave when we have a lot of it. My heart, we once did a sermon series called Living with Margin. Margin in our relationships, margin in our work schedule, rushing from one place to the next, and then margin in our finances. That God can bless us so that we can be a blessing with others to others. You know, when you're living, spending more than you earn, it's very hard to be obedient to God when He says, I want you to bless this person, because you actually don't have money to bless them. We all today, sitting here this morning, have to fight a spirit of greed. And Jesus says it in Luke 16, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I think many people today have made money their master because they distrust God as their provider. Maybe you question God's goodness. That's why it's far easier to put your faith in money than it is to put your faith in God as your provider. For those, we have a congregation that is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, many people on different stages in socioeconomic standing. We have people here today that earn good money, and then we have people here today who do not know where their next meal is coming. And I'm so grateful for your generosity that has helped us to be able to do what we do as a church. It is only through your generous giving every month that enables a lot of what is happening here to happen. And then I know there are people here that give into our Barnabas Fund, and our Barnabas Fund is literally there to help meet the needs of people sitting in this auditorium today, to help them with food, accommodation, unseen medical expenses, to help people just get through the two or three months that they need to get on their feet. We live in a country where there is this Big divide between the haves and the have-nots, and that divide is only getting bigger. And I was just, this morning when we were praying for the church today, I even just thought about our older generation who are getting their pension. And their pension is what they're getting, and everything else just keeps going up and up. And we're praying that God would be able to supernaturally provide needs. And when we look at the Israelites going 
through the wilderness and how God provided their needs and how their clothes lasted longer. I feel like we stay, we're living in a world where we're saying, God, you've got to supernaturally give us breakthroughs for many people. Not too sure how they're going to get through financially till the end of the year. So for, the, for you that sit here this morning that earn well, how do you guard against the love of money? How do you stop money from taking grip in your heart and taking hold of your heart? Would you describe yourself as a generous person? I've got some things that I would like you to think about this week. But in conclusion, this passage talks about one particular theme, and I want you to get this theme. If you've only woken up now, listen to this two-liner. Godliness must be the motivating factor in everything we do. If God is going to do anything in our hearts today, I hope it's to give you a desire to be more godly in your behavior. It should be a motivating, driving factor in your life. And Paul in this passage gives a strong warning. Your pursuit in life cannot be money. It has to be God and godliness. Because if we were to be honest today, the drive for more wealth, more money, the love of money is a drive in our hearts that gets us out of bed every day to climb that corporate ladder, to earn, to get that better car, to have the bigger house, to have the latest cell phone, whatever it is. And our drive today should be a desire to say, God, I want to seek you first and your kingdom and you say all these other things will be provided. You say that you will meet our needs, not always our wants. Can we be content with having our needs met and not being super wealthy and super poor? If money is your pursuit, you have missed the heart of God the Father. So things to think about this week. On a scale of 1 to 10, how, how content are you right now? Are you living in a state of discontentment? And it would be interesting to, to talk about the different areas of contentment. Are you primarily pursuing happiness, contentment, money, or are you pursuing godliness? Do you agree with the statement, if you want to be content, think less about yourself and more about Christ? How do we think less about acquiring more things and think more about Jesus. I want to love you with all my heart. I want to seek first you and your kingdom before my own kingdom and the world that I'm building. I want you to honestly answer this question. Is your love for money in check? And if it's not, I need us to repent. And I need to challenge you as the congregation of this church that if you are spending more than you're earning, to seriously consider looking in your budget and finding ways to drop that standard of living so that you are not getting deeper and deeper into debt. To make those hard choices and say, we need to maybe do without this so that we have a little bit more margin in our life. I heard of one family that said, we've had to learn to be content with eating less meat every week. We've had to learn to be content going out for meals as much as we used to. 
We need to be content not going on holidays as much as we used to a few years back. Learning to be content and trusting him to be our provider to meet our every needs. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up onto stage. And there's a, a song that we sing that talks about Jaira, you are enough. Jaira, you are enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. You are Jaira, you are enough. I'm going to ask you to put your Bibles and your notepads and your phone away. And it's not often that we try and talk about money, but it's funny, Jesus spoke about money more than he did about sin and love and all these other fun topics we like talking about. But we all know the saying, money makes the world go around. We, know that we all know the power of money. But I'm going to pray this morning that we can pray for some people that are trusting for a financial breakthrough. And whether it's the basic thing of someone just finding a job or a better job that pays more, maybe it's a supernatural trusting God to, to try and make the changes to get out of debt. Maybe there are people that are trusting for that promotion at the office where they can just be able to meet the basic needs of their family. I want us this morning to orient, orient our hearts to God as our Father, as our provider. Jesus says, your, your dad already knows your needs before you even ask. This morning, we don't have to come to God the Father and say, do you know what my needs are? These are my needs. He already knows your needs. I want us to orient our hearts to him to say, God, I actually want to trust you more to provide for us as a family, to provide our needs. And where I've mistaken needs for luxuries and wants, we have had a healthy ambition for more and desiring more things. I pray that you would change my heart to trust you to provide my every need. And to set me free from where I have loved money more than I should, where I've got a healthy, unhealthy appetite for more and for the things of this world. I know, I know one of the main three causes of divorce is sex, in-laws, and money. Right now, I know money for some marriages is causing strain on your relationship. So this is a difficult topic for some today. It's hard to be generous when you, your books, your house is not in order. It's hard every month when you realize we just don't have enough to meet our needs of our family. For some, money is keeping you up at night. It is causing a deep stress in your heart and your mind. Father, my prayer this morning, in these words of the Apostle Paul, that godliness with contentment is great wealth, great gain. Lord, where we've set our gaze on things of great gain and great wealth that isn't what you call great wealth and great gain. I pray this morning for us as a church that you would give us a burning desire to be more godlike in our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our behavior. Pray, God, that we would be 
a father pleaser, a God pleaser, that we would learn to say no to sin and the flesh that we struggle with every day. That God, you would show us what it means to be content. To be grateful for what we have. Not always to desire more. I pray for contentment. Help us with an attitude of discontentment in our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would teach us, as the Apostle Paul said, that we have learned to be content, whether we have a lot or a little. Teach us, Holy Spirit, what it means to be content. And in this season, the state of our nation, as things seem to be getting harder, as our economy is struggling, God, Lord, we pray for your supernatural provision, that you give us wisdom on how to manage our finances. And right now, I want to lift those families that need a financial breakthrough to you. And Lord, I'm not going to ask the families to stand up, but you know who you are this morning. Father, we declare you as our provider, and we want to put our trust in you. Father God, Daddy God, thank you that you call us not to be anxious. So we speak provision, we speak favor, we speak provision, God, over every family represented in this church. For the miracles that are needed, God, we want to know, we want to believe that you are able, God that is able to meet those needs. For those that need a supernatural miracle, where, God, that you can help squash debt and you can just do some amazing things, God. We want to speak supernatural favor over finances in this church, God. Teach us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Let us be defined as a generous people who do not love money, 